welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I am Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and today I have someone that I've been really looking for. I say this every week, I really do, but someone I have been really looking forward to because I think all my guests, I've handpicked them myself, and um, Vivian Isabor is one of those people that I have been waiting to speak to for a while. Vivian is a clinical associate in psychology working for the NHS with individuals with complex emotion needs in East London, and she is also the founder of ADHD Babes, the first support group for black women and black non-binary people with ADHD, where she is the director of community outreach and well-being. Since being diagnosed in her early 20s with ADHD and living with mental health difficulties, Vivian has run awareness sessions and advocated on platforms such as the BBC, Mental Health Today and Mind. Besides working in mental health, Vivian is a performing artist, amazing singer, and organizes events and creative workshops with a special focus on black history. Mm. Vivian, it's really is a pleasure. And I was listening to your music before and you have the most stunning voice. Oh, um, thank so you. yeah, I'm sure we'll get onto that. <laughs> thank you. It's great to meet you. It's really great to meet you. I've been following ADHD based and I love what you do in your community. And I love that you're serving a group of women, people who need to know that they're not alone and I know that with any woman with ADHD there is a feeling of feeling quite disconnected especially if we're living in different communities and areas and big cities small towns and villages it feels like we're always the only person on this planet that's going through this and then when we realize that there's other people really similar to us and that's what I love about the podcast and connecting with lots of other people in the community actually we have so many similarities so many of us are different but actually the similarities with ADHD are very good for connecting us so first of all I don't know I'm not sure where to start but I know you were diagnosed in your 20s and I guess how did that did you know anyone else in your family in your school community that had ADHD as a girl um you know what no like when I think back to ADHD I think I there was one person in in secondary school like one guy that had ADHD and he got excluded by like year nine but I think that was actually my only memory of of knowing someone with ADHD personally so yeah it was very far removed yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, um, I mean, I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but my brothers were diagnosed really young on in life. Mm. Um, I never knew any girls with ADHD. It was just not a thing. And so it was literally only relatively recently, you know, the past few years that it's been like, okay, now I understand. I guess with ADHD babes, you're serving the black community. Is that um, a thread that you hear a lot that ADHD in women and non-binary is that something that they're kind of like 
thinking I've not met someone like me before. I've not met someone whose challenges look the same as mine. Is that Mm. a story that you're hearing a lot of? Yeah, for sure. Like a lot of people within the community were diagnosed later in life, like whether it's kind of early or late 20s. But, you know, there's some people that were diagnosed right up into their mid 50s. So there's definitely like this trend of kind of slipping through the net or, you know, masking enough that people just put it down to quirks or kind of being a little bit of a Walter Mitty, like head in the clouds type personality. And I think it's that presentation of women or people who are assigned female at birth, like the presentation being more the inattentive type rather than in men when the presentation is a bit more hyperactive, impulsive, that's a lot more over and yeah, there's something about the covert symptoms just being seen as personality traits rather than like a call for help. And that just adding to people being missed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we see that all the time and I hear that. And I think a lot of my community of women are women who are being diagnosed quite a bit later on in life, probably like 30s, 40s, 50s. And that is the, that commonality between everybody is the all the what ifs and um, what, how was this missed and all the being able to connect the dots and being able to see. And what astounds me about you is that you've got two masters. So you're highly educated. There's clearly a need for you to keep learning. There's a a desire, maybe a desire. There's a curiosity. And when we're interested in something, we want to keep going and go, first of all, tell me a little bit about the two degrees that you've done. And guess what? is that leading towards and what is it that you want to be doing in this field? So I did my, well, I did my undergrad in psychology and then I was working on like the inpatient wards, uh, mental health inpatient wards for a few years. And I kind of felt like I hit a bit of a glass ceiling where it's either kind of, I went back to uni or I would just keep doing the same thing, but very on brand of ADHD. Like I find it very hard to concentrate on things that I don't find interesting. So I had to like really search and look for topics and it was it was between uh the masters I did or a masters in psychology and music it was like mental health and and music and I was Mm. really really torn between the two that sounds amazing right like till now I'm like (laughs) (laughs) um, I might go back and study that too but yeah in the end I decided on cultural and global perspectives to mental health care um because I'm I'm really interested in uh, Black British kind of movements. And I think there's always been studies kind of talking about how uh, how much worse off we are in terms of mental health outcomes. So I really wanted to learn about how that can actually be resolved and different ways of understanding mental health, whether it's from an African perspective or an Asian perspective, not just the Western lens. So yeah, I just really wanted to learn about that. I wasn't really sure where it was going to go, um, but yeah, I just wanted to learn about it. And then, yeah, I was just able to apply it a little bit more in in my workplace. And eventually another role came up that led to the master's that I did afterwards. That was a apprenticeship master. Um, And it's a very long term. I don't know why they chose such a long title, but it's clinical associate in psychology. Uh, And it's a training course to then become a therapist and to be able to offer one to one or group therapy. Um, And again, being able to like pull those what I learned in the first master's and focus my dissertation on adapting services to support people from the black community so yeah it's kind of all kind of trickled through because then I can use that when I'm also working in ADHD babes so I'm not sure how it's going to all come together perfectly but I'm sure it will eventually 
don't worry about the how because I think what you're doing is clearly like a very sort of purpose-filled mission there for you, like really personal and the how that's filtered through with, you know, finding founding the ADHD babes as well is like serving the black community. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you hear with regards to mental health and what do you obviously from studying and being part of the community and hearing, you know, day to day, what what's happened with the mental health side? And I guess how have women specifically been missed when they are coming to um medical practitioners and, and saying, you know, I've got this um symptom, I've got I'm feeling this or I've got mm. this trait and are they being dismissed? How how's it looking? And I guess what's the future? What are you mm. seeing? Yeah, it's really it's really hard. Like the stats are always quite damning. Um for black women specifically, uh, they were more likely to struggle with common mental health conditions like anxiety and depression. Uh, but then there was this gap of them not having access to talking therapies. Um, and it's quite similar with black women as well, where they were more likely, I think it was almost seven times more likely to be diagnosed with a psychosis or a psychotic condition in comparison to their white counterparts. But again, were less likely to get access to talking therapy and were more likely to be given kind of high dosage of, of medication or kind of held in more uh, secure, controlled ways within mental health services. So there's definitely a trend of presenting with uh, mental health difficulties, but then not kind of getting the right support um, or the support that's being given is is very heavy handed. So, yeah, I think it's quite difficult. There's lots of there's lots of reasons why people don't feel comfortable kind of reaching out to services in the first place and then people trying to reach out and then think like services aren't very accommodating or understanding of cultural differences. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm really interested in culturally adapted and culturally sensitive services because ultimately, you know, people are different and accommodating people's differences is part of what psychology is supposed to do and mental health and health services in general. So yeah, I think that's that's the gap of kind of how do we meet people where they are and yeah, I'm not sure if that's been done enough yet. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, you know, from my perspective, and I don't know anywhere near as much as you, but it feels like we, we're we really behind. And, you know, for a certain community to be felt like they're not being looked after or listened to the same way as another community, it's just, it just feels like what, what era are we live, living in? And especially with, you know, if we go back to the ADHD, where it almost feels like if you go to your GP you have to over explain yourself and you've Mm -hmm. got to come with huge amounts of advocacy and you've got to be able to have done all that research yourself and almost kind of like present present this case and hope that the GP goes okay I believe you Um, and that's what frustrates me most is that when women come to me or any listeners come to me and they sort of say to me I'm really nervous I've got a um, a GP appointment I've got a doctor and I'm worried I'm not going to be able to get my words out I'm not going to be able to articulate myself what happens if they ask me questions I don't know you know especially if they ask me about what my what I was like at school or growing up and you know very often we have like memory issues or there's been trauma and huge parts of our childhood have kind of just been like blanked out Mm -hmm. Um, yeah there is a massive block there and so there's the the nerves often often get in the way and then again I get these messages from women saying I've been to the GP and he and he didn't think it was ADHD and I've been you know given anxiety or you know antidepressants and it's really frustrating and upsetting um and I think what you're able to do you're serving a community is I think similar to what I'm doing is that when they're struggling to be seen 
they're struggling to be listened to there's a there's a holding space there because there's no there's nowhere else because they're waiting for diagnoses um you know a seven-year waiting list um to know that there's a community there that gets them you're not asking them for a proper diagnosis um i always say you come to my community whether it's you have a suspicion there's adhd there or you've had like you know full diagnosis because i think just to be just to know that there's people around you that you're like-minded yeah how do you see it growing is like in the, especially in the black community is the awareness growing is the understanding growing about what adhd looks like and is there i guess more of a vulnerability opened up to be able for women and and anyone really in the community to be able to talk about it and say actually i see this in myself but i possibly see this in my parents and generations and maybe that's where dysfunction addiction lots of you know childhood issues have come from I mean are you seeing that that sort of breakdown now of people being able to say Mm. okay I understand yeah I think yeah short answer yes for sure but you know the long response to that is I think there is this weird it's it's so odd because sometimes I look at like what social media and there's a group of people that are saying what you're saying where they're like do you know what it's really hard to get through these doors and to you know, um, get the right support, especially if you're a woman, because women are um, less likely to be diagnosed until later on in life. Um, and, you know, it's what it's a very strange condition where you, you literally have to convince people that, yeah, I'm actually struggling with something because the symptoms are things that, yes, people might experience. Someone might lose their keys once in a while, but it's not as simple as I've just lost my keys. It's something that is consistent. But because of the description of it, it sometimes uh, undermined um, or it's seen as you know it's not that serious it's not that deep kind of thing so there's this whole kind of group of people that are saying look you're validated here whether or not it's clinical diagnosis at least come and feel what the community is like and you know see how you can make sense of it and validate yourself and then on the flip side there's a bunch of people that are like go and get a clinical diagnosis right now you can't self-diagnose where did all these ADHDs come and I'm just like oh god like it's such a weird split then obviously the medical the medical services are are somewhere in between where some gps are very open and understanding and they actually advocate for for some of their patients but then i've heard horror stories of gps saying you know there's no such thing as adult adhd so it's yeah it's a really weird field at the moment but yeah it's amazing that there are spaces like yours where actually people can just be held until they feel ready and sure to go there or even just being in the space sometimes makes people confident enough to then go and ask for help um, and someone said it in one of the support groups where even if you have a diagnosis or not you have a need and focusing on what that need is mm. is a great starting point because nobody can invalidate the fact that you're struggling with something whether there's a label or not um, and then the more we've kind of had conversations because every support group there's a different topic um, I think it was even this year we, we spoke about parenthood and a lot of people could resonate with the idea that actually you know if I had it someone else in my family probably has it because it's a genetic condition and then being able to kind of piece together like oh you know when my parent did x or they couldn't do y is that because they also had undiagnosed ADHD and because they were undiagnosed is that why they don't notice they didn't notice that I had it or they dismissed it if any teachers did kind of pull anything up and how that then has a ripple effect Um, and I think it's difficult because when when one person doesn't know it does kind of ripple until one person stops it and there was that consensus of of actually this is the generation that is naming 
what it is so that the generation that comes after they will have a platform and I think it works like I, I can't remember who I was saying this to but um I my niece was kind of showing symptoms of, of ADHD so I kind of got her to my laptop and started emailing her college like hi you know it runs in the family I'm seeing symptoms she needs support and she was able to at least get an educational diagnosis so you know even though it's not it wasn't in childhood she still got it you know 10 years earlier than I got it um which is is a difference yeah so uh, yeah I do think that having the space together to speak about these things being able to just piece it into like a wider a wider picture it almost vindicates you and it makes it easier to see where their solutions yeah I think that's it's so amazingly articulated because I do think we are that this generation now of hopefully breaking generational cycles and being able to see where the breakdowns of the family has, has, has come from. And yeah, we can sometimes say we had a dysfunctional family. You know, this person um, had addictions, that person had depression, that person had financial issues. You know, that person couldn't cope in a family in an environment. And for me, for sure, I've been able to go through my family tree and see that. But also I think it offers a, a level of compassion and forgiveness 100%. and being able to see your family through a new lens instead mm. of like blame and anger and resentment kind of be like you know like compassion for all the you know the lack of resources that they had and understanding but we are getting the last dregs I think of the old school patriarchal society um so but in a way it's it's quite cool because we're kind of breaking those stigmas down and it feels really hard and it feels really exhausting but in a way it also feels like wow we are you know in just a few years there has been a massive shift. You know, if you think about it, ADHD in women five years ago, was it a topical conversation? No, it wasn't all over social media. It wasn't in the news. We weren't being asked to advocate. So there's obviously been a shift and I think it's been quite fast. And for us to know that we've hopefully made a bit of a mark in our different communities and opened up conversations and support and everything, um, you know, one day we'll be able to look back and be like, actually, okay, yeah. the there's been a, t- a turning of the tide there. Yeah, 100%. Um, and what I wanted to ask you is that, do you see yourself as like a lifelong learner? Because I see that in ADHD a lot, that we are like, oh, we've learned that, we've done that, next thing. Is that... Is that what you see in yourself? Yeah. And you know what? It's kind of a blessing and a curse because before I even finished the last master's, I was like, oh, <laughs> looking online, <laughs> like, I was like, you need to stop because at some stage you're going to have to rest and like reset your brain. But it's weird. It's like after every, everything is interest based and that's what kind of gets me through it. But it's like, a, it feels like a bit of a, a video game where it's like you achieve one level and then the minute you finish, you're just beamed into the next level like there's always another another task do you give yourself time to reflect and look back and be and actually congratulate yourself and be like wow Vivian what I've just accomplished is massive mm-hmm. um because I don't yeah. and I and I wish I did and I don't know how and I just wondered for you you know obviously I'm saying to you oh my god this is amazing look you've got two masters but have you ever given yourself that same pat on the back um not really this time last year i graduated from the first masters because covid kind of messed it all up um and i remember i forgot that the graduation was happening because obviously yeah adhd and it was so long ago uh so i kind of like last minute messaged some friends like hey should we all go out to eat 
I'm going to graduate. Um, and then I remember my friend kind of saying that they're really proud because they had told me months before that I need to like take stock of things that I've done, even if it means just asking friends to go out for a meal to specifically celebrate that thing. Uh, so that was like one occasion where I'm like, okay, I actually intentionally organized something to celebrate an achievement. Um, and I was really proud of that. But otherwise, not really. Yeah, it's kind of, oh, what's the next thing? Oh, what else is on the to-do list? Which I know isn't good because it, it doesn't give you space to actually take stock and it can make you feel like you've never achieved anything if you're always thinking about what's the next thing to do. That's exactly it, isn't it? It's like you feel like you've not achieved because you've already, once you've got, to that place you've already moved on yeah. like in your head you've moved on from there mm-hmm. and you've kind of been like right what's next exactly um and it it kind of yeah I'm like making me it's making me think as well but it it's that intentionality isn't it of going right we're gonna celebrate this there's gonna be a milestone we're gonna have a meal we're gonna have a drink like we're gonna go and I don't know go away or do something yeah. because otherwise we can it's just this juggernaut of achievements and productivity and I'm just curious like maybe from a well-being perspective how do you balance you know the working the studying and do you do you feel the burnout do you get overwhelmed like how do you manage that yeah I definitely do get overwhelmed and burnt out like I had to take some time off last year because it was just all way too much to balance um and I think it was it was difficult because I was the first cohort of this course in London, uh, even on a structural level, like it, everything was new. Um, so there wasn't kind of anyone to say, oh, you know, how did you manage last year or kind of ask for advice in that sense? Like we were kind of the first ones. The way I manage it in general is is I time block my days. Um, I've done a lot of CBT and I still kind of keep a lot of the the techniques that I learned through there where you know really planning out my week in advance it helps with my ADHD and for my mood because I can say you know Thursdays is ADHD babes day and you know Tuesdays is a music day and Sunday is a rest day just really being intentional about that uh, and sometimes that doesn't work because uh, you know if there's lots to do on a Thursday for ADHD babes and it spills over then I'm still going to be thinking about it all weekend um, so you know, I'm not really relaxed yeah it can get really, really hard. I do sometimes just have to take breaks. And I think I'm just learning to be okay with that, that sometimes I don't have enough energy. Sometimes I'm tired and that's that's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It's like knowing, like, first of all, giving yourself that compassion and then being mm. able to explain and, and be honest with your community, especially, you know, the fact that it's all volunteered um, and you're, you're giving your time. But I think the most important thing is, you know, is looking after looking after you and, and knowing that we always have to have these boundaries. You see, I'm so tempted. I would love to go back and study. I would love to go and do a master's. And I almost did um, a positive psychology degree, um, oh, no. master's in positive psychology just before the pandemic. Mm. And I was going to sign up. It was at Liverpool. And I was literally, I'd got everything. I'd got all my re- uh, references. I'd written my personal statement. I'd been accepted. It was like massive. And something was just like holding me back. And it was, I can't remember if I'd just, if I'd been diagnosed or not. I'm not sure if I had the official diagnosis. But I'd started understanding that there was something going on. And I always knew that I had this propensity for overwhelm and anxiety and burnout and procrastination. And I was was working, I had my kids and there was this voice in my head that kept saying, 
do you want this? Do you want this on your head? Like, is what's this going to do? How, what, what's this going to make you? Like, what kind of mum is this going to make you? And even though the personal desire was there to study, to learn, to grow, to evolve, something was telling me it's not the right time. It's not the right time. And um, I was meant to start in the September, October of 2019. Um, and I was thinking, actually, you know, if I had done it with the pandemic and everything, that would have been crazy my kids homeschooling so it was kind of like almost like this intuitive guidance I was getting <laughs> like yeah not the right time this is not the right time um but it did make me think it did make me assess it made me look and I was thinking am I am I cut out for it am I cut out and but in a way I do want to prove something to myself that I do want to carry on studying because when I was at uni first time round which was pretty long ago my ADHD was in full swing, but I just didn't know it. I, I really didn't. I didn't fulfill my potential. I struggled. I man, didn't manage to get to class on time. Everything was like my notes were a mess. I was, I found it so hard at university. So I was just thinking, you know, do I want to do that to myself again? Now with kids, now with work, now with everything. Um, do you have, I mean, do you have any words of advice if there's someone that's listening that's in a similar situation? about going back to study with the awareness of ADHD and what I guess what tools you've used that have really helped you with your I guess your productivity but also your well-being because I think it was my Mm. well-being that I was more worried about than anything else yeah no 100% I think I think you made 100% the best decision I think like every decision we make has an impact and the reality is like we have lots of different um identities within ourselves so you know like you named a few like mother you know you as a human being and your well-being interest in in you know positive psychology and then when we make certain decisions it does kind of move the bricks around a little bit or it kind of if we're holding all these bricks in our in our hands like adding on one brick might like start making us walk um you know to the left or it might be too difficult to carry all together so I think realistically especially with ADHD I feel like I have to be really intentional about things I take on because I know the reality is if I feel overwhelmed what that feels like is not the same as what it feels like to a neurotypical person the amount of time it takes to recover and to get out of it is I I have to be careful you know I have to really really think about it and that even even if it's something as small as you know I don't want to go out two nights in a row because it's going to take me four days to recover like I have to genuinely consider those things and I think it's the same with education where I made the decision to do it the first time because it I could feel I was getting um stagnant in my role and that feeling was something that I couldn't deal with anymore so it was like out of the options kind of yeah I can decide to stay in in work or I'm gonna try and do do their studies and that's gonna motivate me forward because it's something new it's something exciting um, but then to balance it, I started doing reduced hours. So even though I was making less money, it meant that I had more mental time to be like, okay, I had uni today and now I can just sleep for the rest of the day. Um, and I, I, I did that for, for the year because it was, that's what I needed to do um, to get through. So I think generally managing uni, because I you know, had the, the support at uni, I had the extra time, I handed in all my assignments late, <laughs> you know, all the tutors knew that I had it so they would give me extra help and I could email and ask questions and things like that but also just in general my life was was quite different for that year like I was a lot less social 
um, I didn't have as much time to more so this last masters I had a lot less time to to do music I think I only organized one event last year whereas before I would do events every every few months um, so yeah it does it like when I, I look at it like a kind of well there's the spoon analogy where it's like you know if I've got 10 spoons for the day when you study it does take out a chunk of it so I think it's making a decision to how can I accommodate with the spoons I have left what am I going to have to let go of if I say yes to the to the masters I'm going to have to say no to something else and just kind of accepting if that's okay and if it's not then that's fine we get to choose and I think that does sometimes it makes me sad because I'm like if I was neurotypical would I even need to think this much about it could I just because like we finished the masters and some people are like yeah I'm going to apply for the doctorate and I thought I need a year to just breathe I don't know how you can even imagine <laughs> like studying again but I think there's always pros and cons to everything and yeah I, you know I have to be more intentional and careful about decisions I make but on the flip side it means that I'm part of this community which I find to be such full of such beautiful people it means that my brain thinks differently to others and I can think of new ideas and I can be spontaneous and all the good things I enjoy about it so I think there's just a level of acceptance that has helped me um, and with the acceptance comes the accommodations as well. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think, you know, what you're learning on the ground as well mm -hmm. is going to always help you put all the theory into practice. And I'm sure I have no doubt that you probably will go on and to do the doctorate at some point. <laughs> Let's the see. Fact that you've got all this, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not saying like next year, or something, yeah. but I have a feeling that you probably like you can see it in, you know, in, in, in the distance. Yeah. And the fact that you are like, working in the community and you're volunteering and you're listening and you're hearing the stories it's always gonna you know I, that's kind of what I think now like if I'd done the masters in positive psychology that would have taken me away from the clients and from the working with the people in my collective and really understanding and and sort of hearing you know person by person what is going on as opposed to just being from my experience and that's what for me I'm still learning I'm just not getting the the certificate yeah and I know that it is lovely to have that validation but you know sometimes the learning can come in in different ways I think anyone can agree that at the moment modern life can feel pressurized and at any one time our bodies are dealing with a range of different stresses that could be physical emotional biological or environmental and even more so we feel this with ADHD so I am delighted that the herb tender is sponsoring today's episode the herb tender supplements have been designed with ADHD in mind and they offer a range of different wellness supplements all formulated with adaptogens and functional mushrooms to help us manage these stresses of modern day living enabling us to live a healthier calmer and more focused life Adaptions help us find equilibrium and possess numerous beneficial powers from reducing stress, aiding sleep, to enhancing focus, performance and immunity. And the Herb Tender supplements also contain powerfully intelligent herbs to help normalise our internal systems, regulate physiological function and restore metabolic balance. I've been taking these supplements regularly now for the past month and I can really notice a difference, which is why I'd love you to give them a go too. And I have a couple of favourites of mine and for anyone with ADHD, um, which are the Focus and Clarity, which have obvious benefits for ADHD brains. And these can be taken in the day whenever you need to just get your head down and focus. I take mine in the morning 
and I really notice what a productive, um, good few hours I have. And then I have the Calm and Collected, which I take towards the end of the afternoon, in the evening, when I don't need to be productive anymore. I want to encourage more rest and more relaxation. And it really does help us wind down after a very busy day. And it also helps manage anxiety and contributes to better sleep and just makes us feel calmer as well when we wake up in the morning. So I really highly recommend the Calm and Collected. So if you would like to give them a go, the Herb Tender is offering us a 20% discount. So if you head to the-herbtender.com, so that's the-herbtender.com, and you type in the discount code KATEMORE20, so that's K A T E. M-O-R-E 20, Kate Moore 20, you will get 20% off any supplements on the website. I really would recommend giving them a go. And even if you just want to try the Focus and Clarity and the Calm Collective just to get you started, I would definitely recommend these. Now back to today's episode. What's interesting, just going back to, to that, is that sometimes if you go to a doctor or a psychiatrist and they are still quite old-fashioned or not that experienced in ADHD and they go but look how educated you are look you've managed to get through school and you never got flagged up or you look you got through university or you've got a master's and again I speak to so many women who are like ridiculously educated with ADHD and they have managed to achieve things that probably has taken like twice or three times the amount of energy um, than someone you know, neurotypical, but they've still done it. And that is what people don't see. And it's that invalidation of like, you can't have ADHD because look, you're a doctor, look, you're an accountant. And mm. it's just like, it's crazy because it's just no one can see the struggle, the internal. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I call it flat out ableism because to assume that achievement is incomprehensible with ADHD it's it's an ableist concept because it's assuming that ADHD means a, a lack of an ability to achieve anything or you know a lack of an ability to to apply yourself to something and when you speak to people that are able to make it through higher education it's often because the topic they're doing is of specific interest to them it's often because they've found a bunch of people who have carried them through the course or you know they had a really good friend who would share notes with them and ask them when they're coming to class and all these things like, yes. do you know what I mean they found totally oh, yeah gosh, I had to this day I always remember the girl in second year who every time I missed the class she was like Viv you weren't there today Viv we have a deadline Viv. and she genuinely got me through <laughs> second year without her I would have failed yeah so I think there's this mis- misunderstanding that if you have ADHD you can't achieve and like you said the because people don't see how much more effort it takes to do it, they think, well, you've done it full stop. And again, that's just a misconception of how disability works, that sometimes people can do the thing, but the amount of effort and time it takes to do the thing is what makes it a disabling act. It's what means that, you know, now they have a week out to try and recover from that. And that's not that's not the way it needs to be. What they need is the right accommodations, the right support, so that they can do it and still have a quality of life and not, you know, be flat out from achievement. It, it really grinds my gears when people do that. Yeah, no, I'm exactly the same. And I just had my daughter before. She'd been building up in her head about this one piece of work that she had to do. And she's, I mean, bless her, she's only 11, she's nearly 12. And she was, she kept saying to me, I can't do it, I can't do it, I don't know how I'm going to do it. And she's been diagnosed ADHD. Um, and the effort and the mental tax it took on her just to know that it was coming, it was building up, she knew she had to hand it in just to be able to sit down and actually start it was probably the hardest thing. So 
thank goodness we've kind of recognized it like the body doubling yeah. thing really works for her that I just have to sit with her and I just sit her down it's almost like like right let's get the, the computer let's get all the pens let's get the paperwork let's sit down and she's like okay I've done the hard thing I've actually started yeah. And then I literally start her off. I just kind of go, well, what do you think about this? And what about that? Like, let's start with this sentence. And once I got her going, that was it. She was flying. But the hardest thing for her was the getting through that mental barrier of, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to start. The overwhelm was there. And I wish I wish that that was also taken in, into consideration for teachers, I think, because that piece of work, I mean, she's a clever girl. She just did it. To start, it was the hardest thing. Um, and I remember that feeling so mm -hmm. well of like the overwhelm of like, where do I start? I've got to write a dissertation. I've got to write an essay. And it's huge. The concept of it is so big. And it the automatic process of, okay, it's an intro and a, and a body and a discussion. And that doesn't come automatically. All you see is 5,000 words, 10,000 words. And it's too much. It's, it's way too much. And I think it's, and that's why when people are like, oh, you know, just do it. It's like, it's not just do it. Because if it was that simple, then I would have done it a long time ago. Because like you said, it's not that we don't have the knowledge. It's the it's the accommodation. It's the, you know, the, the dopamine difficulties. It's the executive function of I need to start this task and just literally feeling like your, uh, you know, your car is jump starting. It's, it's, and it's really hard because when you explain it to people, it can be so easily dim diminished to, you know, you're just being lazy or, you know, you just need to try harder. And that's why I find so much solace in speaking to other people who understand because we know that we want to do the thing. Like lazy is not mm -hmm. applicable because laziness is like an unwillingness to want to do it. There is a huge willingness. It's just very difficult. Yeah. And it just shows how just have like an understanding person there, whether they've got ADHD or not, just for them to kind of get it, just for them to understand that this is what we need. You know, like your friend in second year, just that like little nudge in the right direction or that person that just sits at your kitchen table or a partner or a friend that can just give you that push or that help or that support just when you need it. And yeah, it is. It, and once you've got that, little kind of um that golden circle that inner circle of people that you know you can rely on it does make things um it does make things a bit easier uh, which is why having a community is brilliant because you know for us to be able to just say that then we both just got yeah. it we didn't have to go into nope. too much detail <laughs> we just yeah yeah what's understood doesn't need to be explained yeah totally mm. um so tell me just before we we finish what i i know that your your music is obviously like a crea creative outlet mm. it's something that you are so talented at but also would you say that's like a well-being side for you is that like calming mm. um or is it something else that you add to your to kind of like to-do list achievements oh it's a little bit of both like the actual singing side of things where like uh, you know I'm with the band and we're performing or like we're we're making new music that part of it is super soothing um the kind of boring admin parts is like oh you know have you posted to social media this week you know have you have you edited a video you know have you applied for this music grant like all those parts that you know if I had a manager or an agent or something they could they could do or sending invoices the bane of my life um all of those parts are like they're part of work life um but the actual like creation of it going to open mics uh anytime I get to perform um even just rehearsal spaces like I just 
yeah it really I really leave like feeling energized yeah so if someone had to say to you music or psychology and learning and you had to choose one of like a road to success what would you choose I think I'd choose music um yeah and I just read articles in the evenings or something <laughs> yeah yeah I mean if I had a god-given talent like being musical mm. or being able to sing I think I'd probably choose that as well yeah. uh yeah I wish I wish I could honestly I love listening to music mm. I'm like a massive music fan nice. but unfortunately I've not been given the, t- the talents of uh musicality but okay. uh, yeah, I always just admire <laughs> sadly not but I just really admire when I see someone with that like raw talent I'm kind of like oh do something with it so yeah I'm kind of like pushing you to keep to keep going <laughs> with the music you. for sure <laughs> yeah, thank you. this year I'm making a lot more time for it that's great because I guess that also feeds into your soul doesn't it it feeds into that part of you that studying I don't think does and and working and learning even though it's really amazing when we connect with people and we we do that but when we're creative and we're able to express ourselves creatively um it's just I think it does feed another part of our soul but I also think it's different times like things come Mm. at different times and different ages and you know different parts of our life when other things take are more important and you know we ebb and flow so you never know you might have like a whole musical career ahead of you yeah, I hope so. that would be great <laughs> oh well it's been really lovely speaking to you and it's really amazing to connect with other people who are holding space in in the ADHD community and I hope that we can do more things together because um for me I would love to see more diversity in um the ADHD therapeutic world as well um I I feel that there's not enough diversity there and I think um there needs to be that so all people who are suddenly realizing that they've got ADHD can feel like they are heard and understood um so I think whatever you do in the future in this therapeutic role I'm sure you'll be you know serving um, lots of people who need it thank you no thank you so much for having me I really enjoyed the convo Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.